Welcome to The Breakdown with James Lankford, where Oklahoma Senator James Lankford discusses policy issues in Congress. Thank you for listening today. This is The Breakdown. This is James Lankford. Welcome to The Breakdown Podcast. Glad that you are a part of this. This one is a little more in-depth on foreign policy. We've done a lot of talk about uh, what's happening in the United States. We've done some talk about trade and other issues. Now we're going to talk about Turkey and the Kurds and Syria and try to be able to break down. Our, our goal of the breakdown conversation is always to give you the background information that when you watch the news, you can be the smartest person watching the news. And when everyone else says, yeah, I know what the Kurdish people are, but they really, really don't. Uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to be able to dig a little bit deeper on this and to be able to go into the details. I've got two of my great team members that are with me today uh, talking about this issue. Kelsey is on our staff. Kelsey, Kelsey, first time for you to be on The Breakdown. Yes, sir. Thanks so for having me. Wel- welcome to it. Uh, Kelsey handles all of our defense policy, so veterans issues, uh, all of the active duty, reserve, uh, National Guard, all those issues that we have on national defense. She has a very large portfolio of issues to be able to deal with. Extremely complicated, and uh, so we're grateful that you're taking that on and taking the leadership on that. Uh, we also have a returner back to the podcast. Uh, that is Adam Ferris. Uh, Adam is with us. He handles all of our foreign policy issues, so he speaks 50 languages fluently. And Actually, 52. But yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, actually, just uh, as a fellow Oklahoman, it's good to just have one language, English, uh, down well. And so uh, we're grateful, Adam, for all the work that you've done. Adam and I have traveled several places around the world together uh, in some of the background work that I have. Uh, but he's also become quite a professional as a graduate of the Army War College and uh, is very engaged and very well, a very well-equipped leader for us. All right, we're going to talk through a, a topic and try to be able to give a little history on this. Let me give the quick current events on it. Most people are talking about the Kurds in Syria and Turkey. They weren't talking about it a month ago, but they are now. Uh, the issue happened when President Trump announced that he is removing about 50 troops that are in north-central Syria and saying he's pulling those folks back and out of harm's way. Uh, There was apparently a phone call that was made, and quite frankly, there's been a lot of phone calls made between President Trump and President Erdogan, where President Erdogan is over and over and over again said, I am coming into Syria. I'm going to establish a safe zone. Now, what's interesting is, if you go back several years ago, uh, the United States had asked Syria to be able, uh, I'm sorry, had asked Turkey to come help in Syria to defeat ISIS. And Turkey kept saying they were going to, they could, but they wouldn't. And so the United States turned to an ally that we've had for a long time in the region in our fight against Saddam Hussein and for uh, what's happening in in Iraq. We turned to the Peshmerga. Uh, It's a group of Kurds uh, in northern Iraq and said, can you help us clear out ISIS uh, out of Syria? And the Peshmerga Kurds from Iraq came and joined some of the Kurds uh, that were in Syria to be able to push back against ISIS in that area. While the Turks complained about that, they didn't come and help. But the Turks have been at a long-standing battle with the Kurds for a long time, and it finally reached a point where Erdogan of Turkey, the president of Turkey, let President Trump know, I am crossing the border, I am bringing tanks in, I am going to renew my fight against the Kurds. And you can either be in the way in the middle of the battle, but I'm coming. And President Trump chose to be able to pull those troops out, put them into other areas of Syria, move some of them to Iraq, and to say we're not going to be in the middle of the fight. That suddenly everyone suddenly started looking at Syria and said, oh my gosh, what's happening? Uh, Why are we pulling our troops out? Who are the Kurds? Uh, They hear the term, they're allies of ours, or they hear that we're allies of Turkey, which they are a NATO ally, and to try to figure out what does that mean? 
And so as we walk through this, let's do a little bit of history here of who are these different people groups and why were we in the middle? <laughs> yeah, and I think what's so complicated about this issue, and, and you've said this a number of times, is that this isn't a black and white issue. This is a very much a lot of gray here. And even when we're just talking about the Kurds, um, you know, the news keeps reporting on Kurds in Syria, um, Kurds in Turkey, Kurds in Iraq, Kurds in Iran. These are not all one people group. Right. So there's right. different political factions um, you know, you've got a Kurdistan regional government in Iraq, which is a semi-autonomous uh, region uh, controlled by the Kurds in part uh, in northern Iraq. Uh, and that's – you mentioned the Pesh- Peshmerga. Back in 2015 when ISIS was still in part of Iraq, the Peshmerga started joining us in that fight and then have continued the Kurds into Syria pushing back against ISIS and, and have been terrific partners since then. But again, a lot of different groups here and, and yeah. how we define those out. So let, let, let's talk through a, a little bit, uh, a little bit closer here. The, the the Kurdish people. So let's talk through the details. It, when people say Kurds, you typically think of like Americans. That's a country. That's an American country. We're all Americans. Uh, we have different faiths. We have different backgrounds. We have different ethnicities. But we're all Americans. But when you hear Kurds, there is no such thing as a Kurdistan. There is no country of Kurdistan, though they'd like to have that. So how many how many Kurdish people are they? Where do they live? Who are these folks? Right. So there's about 30 million Kurds in just the Middle East, about 5 million uh, outside of that area. And the majority of those are spread across Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Iran. Uh, But about half of those are in Turkey. So a a huge chunk out in eastern, mostly in eastern Turkey. But being 30 million people in the Middle East, it's one of the largest um, ethno-national groups that does not have its own nation state. Right. But they had been promised. What's interesting is if you go back in the history, back to World War I, at the conclusion of World War I, at that time called the Great War, the World War to End All Wars, they were redrawing a lot of the boundaries in the Middle East after World War I. And the Kurdish people wanted their own country. Uh, they're the fourth largest ethnic group in the Middle East. They wanted their own country, and they had been promised that one of the boundaries would be a Kurdistan during that time period. But instead, when all the boundaries were drawn a few years later, it was actually all of that area was taken in as Turkey. So they, the Kurdish people had thought there'd be a Turkey and there'd be a Kurdistan. But there wasn't. They were all drawn together. And now you have Kurds that live in Syria, in Turkey, in Iraq, in Iran, and in Armenia. That's where they mostly are. And they're kind of bits and pieces of all of those countries. And instead of having their own country... They're scattered in all these other countries. And since that time period, there's been a movement among the Kurds to kind of fight to be able to get their own nation. Right. And in fact, the United States has engaged uh, with the Kurds going back to, you know, as early as the 1970s when there were, you know, covert engagement with Iraqi Kurds. And this is when we had a a Ba'athist government in Baghdad that was supported by the Russians. And then surprisingly, you know, an Iran uh, Iranian government that was an ally of the United States that was working with us to support these Kurds in, in opposing, uh, you know, the Ba'athist regime that was backed by Russia and Iraq. And then you go into the 90s and the Gulf War, and, and we're still working with Kurds there up until the early 2000s. And then 2015 is kind of where that, uh, you know, official uh, military engagement with Kurds in Iraq and Syria begin. Yeah. And so it, it's been this growing relationship that we've had for a long time. The Kurds were helpful in our fight against Saddam Hussein uh, back in the day in Iraq. Uh, they've obviously been exceptionally helpful uh, in what's happening against, against ISIS. So 
Kelsey, talk through. When we talk about our forces working with the Kurdish forces, how many American forces are actually in Syria? Because some people are surprised, Mm -hmm. and we're surprised a couple of weeks ago when we were pulling people out that we had anybody even in Syria. How How many forces do we have working in Syria right now? So the number still fluctuates, as you know, as it always does. Right now we have between 1,000 and 2,000. Um, 1,000 right now are being withdrawn from the border into Iraq, like you mentioned earlier. But we still have folks down on the southern border, and we're going to keep about 200 to 300, is what Secretary Esper has said. Um, and then we also have folks up on the eastern side helping um, help with ISIS there, you know, helping sure that they don't have a resurgence and helping making sure that they don't have any sort of revenue stream with the oil fields there as right. well. So you'll, you'll hear the term there, the uh, American forces are helping protect oil fields. That's, yeah, that's it, not it's, the right It's not about oil fields. No, yeah. it's about making sure that ISIS does not have that option to get that revenue to the oil fields. Right, because in the earliest days of the ISIS, when they were moving into their so-called caliphate, uh, the way they were getting revenue is they took over the oil fields right. in mm-hmm. eastern Syria. They started selling that oil on the black market, a lot of it to Turkey and other places, right. by the way, as well. And so they they were making those sales, and that's how they were getting money to be able to fund their terrorism. Mm-hmm. And so protecting those fields is not about just protecting oil. It's about protecting uh, and preventing, quite frankly, ISIS having, ISIS having that money uh, to be able to, re, to re-engage their caliphate again. Correct. There are still ISIS fighters that are still there, right? There are. So Mm -hmm. what's the best ballpark guess of how many ISIS fighters are still in the region uncaptured? I think, Adam, you were looking at that number. Yeah, and and so I I think estimates vary uh, because right now, um, you know, thanks to what, uh, you know, Congress has done over the past few years, working with both Democratic and Republican White Houses to counter ISIS in Iraq and Syria, ISIS no longer holds any land. So right now it's an insurgency in Syria. There's still, you know, roughly 10,000 ISIS fighters that you know are being held in prisons uh, in northeast Syria. Ma- majority of those are being held by Kurdish fighters. Who, um, uh, you know, I think there's some complications now with with where the U.S. policy is and, and what their priority is. Is it protecting ISIS fighters? Is it going up, uh, you know, to to counter Turkey's incursion? And so, uh, but but we do know that there are roughly 10,000 ISIS fighters behind bars. That you know, if those are not uh, guarded safely, then then those could re-engage on the battlefield. So mm-hmm. let's go back to a couple things. Why are we in Syria at all? Because we, we're not we don't have American forces in Syria because it's a great tourist destination. No. No. What, is it because of the civil war in Syria, or is it because of ISIS? I would say um, ISIS mostly. Yeah, but, it's ISIS. And, I mean, we don't have a standing base there, um, as a lot of people I think think we do. Um, yeah. But we have been there to push back ISIS. I mean, that's a threat internationally and to our national security as well. So we moved in bases to be able to push back on ISIS. We were not involved in the civil war in uh, Syria other than Mm -hmm. when uh, Bashir Assad started using chemical weapons against his own people. We took airstrikes in to say, no, you're not going to use chemical weapons in that area. And that's in contrast to Russia, by the way, who who has had permanent basing there longer than this is just started over the yeah. past so few weeks. Russia's had bases in Syria for a very long time, for decades. Right. Uh, Didn't just start in the past just, few not weeks. New right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, lot of folks are saying the Russians are now engaging in Syria in a brand new way. And I always smile when I hear that. And I think, oh, you don't know the history on that one. Uh, that's a that's a warm water base, uh, a naval base for the Russians. And they have an airfield there. They have a naval operations been out of Syria. It's been there for a very long time, which is the reason the Russians got involved in the in the Syrian civil war. Uh, wasn't because they love Bashir Assad so much. Uh, it was because they want to be able to maintain their military base there because they want to be able to protect their assets uh, on their naval base and mm-hmm. on their air uh, airfield there. Correct. 
So then the Russians are now engaged in it. It makes it an even bigger mess. I've, I've, I've said to some people, when you talk about Syria, it's like Game of Thrones. There's so many different groups that are there, and everybody seems to be fighting everybody, and it's hard to be able to keep track of the players. I want to go back to the Kurds one more time on this because I hear people as well. Uh, one of the misnomers I hear is the Kurds, and they'll say it like they're all the same. Uh, all the Kurds are the same, but all the Kurds are not the same, are they? Right, and and what's really complicated with this is that not even you know multiple countries can have a different definition of of what it, what defines a, a Kurdish entity, a Kurdish uh, nationality, a Kurdish group, and so the PKK, for example, that's in Turkey. Okay, that's also a, called the Kurdish Workers it, Party. You'll right. hear that term as well. The it, PKK or Kurdish Workers Party. Right, and so it's got a, a political uh, agenda in Turkey. But it's also been a, uh, designated as a foreign terrorist organization by the United States for decades. So, yeah, since 1997, they've been declared a, a terrorist organization by the United and, States. And this is an entity that is operating within Turkey, a, a NATO ally. Um, and so it presents complications for the U.S., for Turkey, our partner, which has the second largest army in NATO after the United States. And then, you know, this Kurdish Workers Party in Turkey Turkey claims that that entity, which is a U.S. foreign terrorist organization designation, is working with Kurds in Syria, who the U.S. is working with. So it's a, it's a, it's you know, a as you said, it's, it's very, very great. Oh, it's extremely complicated. You, you, uh, Adam, you and I were in um, Turkey in 19, I'm sorry, not 1990. Wow, that had been a long time ago. Yeah, so sorry, too, too far back. You and I were in Turkey in 2016 uh, in December that year. And we had multiple meetings there with different folks in the Turkish leadership. Uh, but uh, we were also there uh, speaking up for Andrew Brunson uh, to try to get that American pastor out of Turkey because he was currently being held there. But while we were there in just the days around that time period in, in December, uh, there were multiple car bomb attacks by PKK terrorists attacking Ankara uh, and seeing that. So when, when you and I were visiting with Turkish leaders there, they couldn't believe that we as Americans work with the Kurds at all because they consider the Kurds a terrorist. In fact, they said to us, working with the Kurds to defeat ISIS is like partnering with Al-Qaeda to defeat ISIS. Right. Uh, and we, we look at that and say, no, that's not how we see the Kurds because we work with a different group, the Peshmerga, uh, and that group of Kurds has been very open to free markets, their freedom of religion, their pro-democracy uh, group of Kurds. That's the Kurds in northern Iraq. They look at Kurds and say they're all like the PKK because the Kurds are carrying out car bomb attacks, uh, being able to fight for a free Kurdistan and to be able to carve up part of Turkey. They want to take a section of Turkey away and say we're going to have this as our own homeland. Right. Tur uh, Turkey has a very monotone view of the Kurds. So they, if, if, if there's someone that they see as a Kurd, no matter what part of the Middle East they're in, you know, they're by and large by Turkey in the same group as the PKK, whereas right. the United States has taken a more nuanced view of Kurds and said, okay, we have these Kurds in Turkey. We have different factions of Kurds within Iraq and Syria, Iran. Um, you know, many, most of these are, are not terrorists. You know, the U.S. has worked with these for years, for decades, right. had great relationships. You've talked a lot, Senator, about uh, the democratic uh, society that's in northern Iraq, uh, free market-based, um, you know, uh, protects religious freedom. A lot of the things that the United States shares values with that Turkey, you know, does not recognize the right. same way that we do. Right. And when, uh, Kelsey, when we went into Afghanistan, we knew there were Taliban that were mm -hmm. there. Uh, we knew there were Al-Qaeda that were there. 
but we didn't just shell all the cities and start bombing every city saying there are some al-Qaeda there, there are some Taliban there. We understand there are Afghans that they're not connected with Taliban. They're not connected with Mm al-Qaeda. And there are others that weren't. But we we did it very different. When the Turks went into Syria to go take on the Kurds, they didn't differentiate between civilians and others. How How did they roll in? They said, well, they told us we're coming in, like you said earlier, whether you leave or not. And they they did not differentiate between groups. They they went full force in there without making sure they're doing their due diligence. Yeah. So they're talking artillery shelling of civilian mm-hmm. areas saying there could be PKK in this area. And so we're just going to start artillery Correct. shelling. So th- it, it's a very different way that they're handling. We, we look at people as Americans and to go, not all Afghans are the same. There are some affiliated with the Taliban that we need to be able to take the fight to mm-hmm. because they're trying to bring the fight to us. Turkey doesn't seem to do that. That's a major issue with us. Correct. And I think that was some of the concern, too, for the president, why he didn't want our soldiers to be in the middle of that. Because I think we knew there, you know, there might not have been that due diligence to make sure they were going after the proper groups of folks. So we, we want to slow down. Uh, mm-hmm. obviously the fight that's happening between the Tur- Turks and the Kurds and to be able to make sure they stay separate to try to pr- protect civilians and to, quite frankly to be able to work with uh, Turkey who is a NATO ally. People lose Correct. track of that. We have American bases in Turkey uh, mm-hmm. that are extremely important uh, to our national security. We've worked with them with the Turks for a very long time uh, in a close partnership but in the last few years uh, the Turkish leadership has really transitioned away from the United States. This started really in 2015 uh, when there started to be a real shift, but it accelerated in the end of 2016 uh, that the Turkish leadership started shifting away, a change of their constitution, uh, more autocratic government, uh, less of a secular government. It, it was a pretty dramatic shift that's occurred there for a while. So we're trying to figure out who the Turks are, and as we've worked on a lot, uh, all three of us have worked on the issue about F-35 sales mm-hmm. uh, to Turkey because – we have a real problem with us selling American F-35s to Turkey right now when we really don't know what direction that they're going to go. That's Correct. our most precious technology. And the Turks have started reaching out for the past several years to Russia, wanting to buy Russian heavy equipment, including uh, surface-to-air missile systems, uh, and to be able to put it at the same base where they have American F-35s. We just can't allow that and are not going to allow that. Mm-hmm. So we've had lots of issues with Turkey Uh, for quite a while in our relationship, but they are a NATO ally. They're an official ally of Mm -hmm. ours. And so for us to be able to end up between the Turks, who are a NATO ally of ours, which we're not going to go to war with Turkey, Mm -hmm. uh, and then to also try to protect the people that have fought side by side with us, the Kurds, uh, to be able to drive out ISIS puts us in a really difficult spot. But we knew when Adam and I were there in 2016, we could see clearly that when the war ends in Syria— the Turks are going to bring the battle right back to the Kurds again. Uh, so there, there was no question they were coming at mm-hmm. us. Uh, and they, they were ready for the, everything to settle down in Syria uh, so they could re- reclaim what they thought was theirs at that point and to basically be able to push back the Kurds away from the border. Because when the Kurds were helping with ISIS, they were moving along that southern border uh, of Turkey, and Turkey was getting more and more nervous that there was a quote-unquote terrorist group right on their border, and uh, they wanted to be able to push them back. And I think a lot of that history and context kind of brings us to where we are today. You know, you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, the president makes a major announcement about new U.S. policy in Syria, um, what he's going to be doing and and, uh, doing with U.S. troops, the relationship with the Kurds. But, of course, as you've said, as the president himself has said, as Congress has made clear, the U.S. still has major interests in, in Syria. And so 
you know, how do we make sure that yeah. we continue to protect those interests of countering ISIS, uh, you know, denying Iran hegemony throughout uh, the Middle East from Iran, Syria, and Lebanon, and then, you know, hopefully someday having a political solution and stability in Syria, which is close to two U.S. allies in Turkey and Israel. Right. So let me bring this up to date somewhat. We're, we're not trying to get the latest facts on this because I don't know when people are going to listen to this. Uh, situations on the ground change rapidly um, in a wartime situation in the battle. And the current focus right now for the vice president and for the secretary of state when they went and visited with Erdogan in Turkey to try to work towards a five-day ceasefire and then to hopefully build that towards a long-term ceasefire. Time will tell how that's holding. Currently, as we do this podcast right now, it is holding. And there's a push there to be able to help bring some of those fighting forces that are Kurdish away from the border from Turkey and to give a little bit of space there so Turkey doesn't feel threatened right away that there are going to be Kurdish forces come across the border uh, from Syria into their country. So currently that's holding. My concern of the last couple of weeks, though, has been the chaos of how this has all kind of come together. Uh, when the president announced the policy, it clearly wasn't coordinated with the State Department and it wasn't coordinated with our Defense Department. Uh, so a lot of people were trying to figure out what to do, how quickly to move. Our forces can move extremely fast, uh, but when you pull them out of a region, you want to make sure that you protect those forces because you don't want to have the last 15 people there that are still waiting to get out, and they're vulnerable mm -hmm. at this point. So you try to be able to pull people out uh, really structurally and systematically. This withdrawal seemed to be pretty hasty in those areas to be able to move to other bases and such. And so I have a real problem with how that pulled out. The second big issue becomes the ISIS prisoners that are there. There didn't seem to be a plan in place to be able to secure all of those prisoners. Now, we did pull some of the most high-value mm -hmm. prisoners that were there that had actually killed Americans. Uh, those individuals were secure. There's two of those. But all of those ISIS fighters are particular uh, in points of interest for us. Uh, many of these are from foreign countries that the foreign countries won't take them back. Uh, they're saying they went to fight ISIS there in Syria. They can just stay there. Well, the problem is they're in prison in Syria uh, those countries need to take them back and need to try them back in their home countries, but many of them are not by the thousands. Uh, but knowing that, we should have been better prepared to be able to move those prisoners out of the way, and that didn't happen. So mm -hmm. we had the chaos of the pullout of that. We had no plan to be able to secure those prisoners in place and no real communication with all the other allies in the region of what we were going to do. What's really key about that, and you mentioned the 10,000 ISIS prisoners, um, you know, if if we don't have a plan in place to make sure that that we have a, a handoff of those prisoners, that we're continuing to maintain those, that's that's a significant fighting force that can re-engage on the battlefield. Right. So, um, you know, we mentioned earlier, ISIS does not have a, uh, you know, foothold, tangible foothold land that they control inside of Syria. But um, it's important to make sure that we don't give up the gains we've already made. You've been consistent in saying, we don't need to be in Syria forever. Right. The U.S. should not be in Syria forever, mm -hmm. but we have to do this the right way. Right. And Kelsey, do we have a plan long-term to keep bases in Syria? Was our plan to stay there forever? No, no, it wasn't. I mean, like I said earlier, right now they have already authorized to keep a few hundred troops down on the southern border, and they're still working out details about what to do around some of these ISIS holds up in the northeastern area as well, as far as where the um, prisoners are. But like I said, Secretary Esper on a day-to-day -day basis has said everything is pretty fluid. This isn't going to be tomorrow we're completely withdrawn. This will be weeks, maybe even right. into months. But I think right now it happens so quickly as far as an announcement that everyone's still trying to figure out what will it look like two months, three months yeah, from but now. But even from the beginning, there was never a plan to keep soldiers there, American troops there, 
forever. No. Uh, it was a temporary thing. And mm-hmm. the challenge is when is that temporary over? Uh, when do we actually pull people out and how do you actually do that? So I do have some concerns with how the pullout was done Correct. because it didn't secure all of those ISIS prisoners. And I think mm-hmm. that's a problem. Uh, I think it wasn't coordinated with all of our allies and people in the region to be able to make sure it's the best possible pullout. Uh, but I do think it's the right decision to eventually get out of there, uh, to not have our forces in, in harm's way in a country that's really not a country we ever plan to stay into and not a civil war that we want to be in the middle of uh, and don't need to be in the middle of that long term. And I think that's why um, the secretary and others are trying to be very deliberate about this withdrawal, because the first thing that is important is the safety of our troops. And so that's that's their main focus right now of how to do that deliberately and safely and get them home safely as well. Which we'd all like to be able to see on this. So I hope this has been helpful. This is a dialogue just around a series of issues about a part of the world that most people have never been to. Uh, I've had uh, both the privilege and the the responsibility to be able to be in that region. I've been in northern Iraq. I've been in northern Syria. I've been in Turkey. So I've traveled to these regions and had the opportunity to be able to visit with people on the ground. It is extremely complicated. And at times the news just kind of puts up a quick blip. You know, we've turned our back on the Kurds as if all 30 million people are all alike. Syrian Kurds, PKK, different groups are all all different in that sense and trying to figure out what does that mean uh, and where do things go from here. Uh, So we hope today to give just some background uh, so that when you watch the news and you're hanging out the water cooler at the office and somebody throws a term around, you can say, hey, I know what that means. And you can get a chance to show off to your friends uh, that you know some of this. But I think it also is incredibly important that we all stay informed. Uh, that we go a little bit deeper in some of these hard issues. Interestingly enough, I had a telephone town hall earlier this week with about 30,000 Oklahomans that we just randomly called that want to be participating in this telephone town hall. Almost all of the questions that came out of that were about Syria and Turkey and what's happening with the Kurdish people. A lot of people have a lot of questions about it, and hopefully this gives a little more detail and information. If people want to get more information, they can contact our office. Probably Adam or Kelsey, you'll be the point person actually trying to get them some answers back <laughs> Happy to do it. on, on those things. So uh, if people want to contact our office, they can go online and go to langford.senate.gov. That's G-O-V, langford.senate.gov. It's got the links to all of our uh, locations to contact us in Oklahoma and in D.C., how to get a hold of us by email, how to sign up for the e-newsletter. We try to send out information on the e-newsletter. In fact, we're sending one out uh, this week that we're actually recording the podcast. We do it about once a month. Uh, and to be able to send that information out. And we'll have more details about this in the e-newsletter. If you want to sign up for that, you can do that. Uh, or you can follow this podcast or get a chance to be able to share this podcast around. Uh, and you're always welcome to be able to get that information out there. We're on most of the podcast platforms. And uh, to be able to link into that and have other folks to be able to join us in the conversation. So hopefully this is helpful. Adam, Kelsey, thanks so much for your work that you do for Oklahomans and for the nation. Uh, I really appreciate the way that you work and what you're doing and the depth of your work. So it is much needed. And we very much appreciate that. No, absolutely. And speaking of U.S. long-term engagement in Syria, hopefully listeners have stuck around for this. I know it's something that we talk through every day, um, have daily communication with State Department White House on. So it's it's an important issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we do stay engaged because it is important to all of us in that. So thanks so much for this. And thanks for listening to The Breakdown. And uh, join us for the next podcast.